Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to AOK. Before we start the episode, we just want to remind you that everyone's sexual and romantic attraction works a bit differently. What you are about to hear are opinions based on personal experience, and any descriptions of romantic or sexual orientations featured in this episode are not representative of any group. friends and welcome to AOK, the podcast about people on the aromantic and asexual spectrums. I'm your Aeroace host, Courtney Lang, and joining us today is Sophie Katz, who is a writer. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. I am very excited to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I am 24 years old and my pronouns are she, hers, and my orientation uh, I will usually say I am pan-romantic demisexual. Mm -hmm. I am very sure about the demisexual part. Uh, The romantic part is something that I flip-flop in my head about, but usually I end up sticking with pan-romantic demisexual, at least partially because then I can call myself a pandemic, and (laughs) I am a sucker for a good pun. Okay, that is a very good pun. Um, What about the romantic piece? Like, I know that we're all questioning all the time, but why that specifically in comparison to the demisexuality? When I learned about demisexuality, it was very much like the the light bulb going off moment that you hope to have, Mm -hmm. where it's like, here is the word, here's the definition, it makes sense. Right. Uh, With romantic, I'm fairly certain that I went most of my, like, childhood early adolescence without ever having a crush okay um and so and and it's also like i I was listening to a previous episode of the podcast and someone mentioned the word qua romantic and i just started laughing because (laughs) it seemed like such a a useful word like what even is romance when do you know when you feel it i don't know it's like i know i have at this point like i have been in love and have romantic desires mm-hmm. um but there are also times when i don't and okay. i uh, i never had the you know people around like there was a period of time where i assumed that all the people around me were just exaggerating how easily they got crushes on people because that just was not my experience at right. all yeah uh, but everyone talked about it so much that i assumed there had to be something they were experiencing that i was not yeah um so i say pan romantic because it doesn't seem like gender is a factor and uh, the the pan part of it is sort of everything, um, uh, and I have had you know, romantic interest in people of similar and different genders. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a useful word for me at the moment, but I also would not be surprised if at some point I decided eh, I'm more like gray or gray romantic or demi romantic. Mm-hmm. But dem- demisexual has been a very useful term for me. So when did you realize you were demisexual? I mean, well. From way back when, I knew that there was, like, something different. Mm-hmm. Certainly, like I said before, everyone talking about crushes and people they didn't know or people who were mean to them and how much they liked them. And that just did not compute for me <laughs> at all. Uh, sorry for using a, ro- a robotic term. but that, <laughs> No, I totally <laughs> get it. That's basically how, how it was. Um, and it was one of a lot of different things that growing up, I was just different about, um, so it wasn't really surprising to me that I would be different about this as well. And I don't remember 
I don't remember. There was no like I didn't know that there was that gay was a thing or anything. Like I I feel like I always knew. Right. Like I had enough excuse to the concept, even if no one really around me was out that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Um. And so as I was getting older and I started learning about things, I got to college and I joined uh, my college's feminist union. And there was a lot more talk there about different gender identities, different sexualities. Uh, and I was like, okay, I want to learn about all of this so I can be the best ally ever. Right. And so I, I was really getting into Tumblr at the time. And so I followed a lot of blogs, a lot of uh, queer blogs. And I was, I was scrolling down my dash one day, and I think my first year of college. Uh, so this was like six years ago now, something like that. I don't know. It's hard to tell once you're not in school anymore how yeah, many years Yeah, it really is. Um, and I was just scrolling down my dash and I saw a post that had the word demisexuality in it. And I thought, oh, I should learn what this means so I can be a good ally and support these people. Mm-hmm. And then I Googled it and it was like, you only develop sexual attraction after you've experienced an emotional connection. And it was just like, wow, like, yeah. wait, that is me. There's a word for it. There are other people who experience the world the way I do. <laughs> Holy cow. How good did that feel? It felt it felt really, really good. Good. How how soon after that did you like start telling people? I think if I remember right, pretty soon after that, I told um, like well, the, the president of our like feminist club, uh, who was this excellent, very supportive, uh, very positive influence uh, on my my social justice warrior life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and she, I told her pretty quickly, it's like, hey, I found this word, it's demisexual, and I think it applies to me. And her response was to me, like, that's awesome, I'm so glad you found that. Um, so I, I had that very quickly, um, and online, I start, like, I've started posting on Tumblr about being demi and being ace pretty quickly as well. Um, and I did end up coming out to uh, my family. Oh. I, don't, I don't have an exact timeline uh, in my head, but like, I, I told my parents, and Seriously, I, I I knew going into it, like, I, I never doubted that they would, like, reject me. Like, I never thought that they would reject me right. or anything like that. Um, like, the first time I had sort of a coming out conversation was with my mom way back in junior high. And, like, I, I just, I've been sitting in the other room reading a, an article in a magazine about a kid coming out as bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I put down the magazine and I walked into the other room where my mom was working and told her that, I was like, you know how I said I thought I might have a crush on this guy? Well, now I'm thinking I might have a crush on this girl. And she, like, she's working on the computer, and she just stood up and turned to me and gave me a hug. Oh. Right away. Uh, It was, like, looking back on it, she was very much wanting to make sure that the first thing I experienced there was, we still love you. God, that's No matter what. Wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so I had I've been look had I had that to look back on because of course I wasn't sure because my crushes were very few and far between, mm-hmm. um, and sexual attraction even rarer than that. Uh, right. So I did bring it up to them uh, the next time I visited home, and they they didn't they didn't really get it at first. Right. Um, I got a sort of mixture of that might that's just how it is for everyone like people don't like having sex with people they don't know um and i also got some of like not really understanding why we need all these extra words for things yes and which you know was a little disheartening because you know i'm a bit of an optimist so i was definitely hoping for 
great, cool. Let's learn about this. Yeah. Uh, but I also understood that this is new. This isn't their vocabulary. This isn't their understanding of the world. And in the years since then, they have asked more questions and uh, had conversations with me about it. And I've been happy to talk to them about it because I, I, of course, rather they ask than not. Um, and they're definitely like, I, again, I never doubted that they were going to love me no matter what, but it's right. nicer now. It's nicer now uh, that we've had those conversations since mm-hmm. than it was in that first moment. Yeah, I think that's the, especially with demisexuality, it seems like a lot of people get a little bristly around it. Um, and those two responses that you just mentioned, the, um, well, why do we need all these words? And also, well, that's how everybody feels. Those pop up the most, I think, for demisexuals. Which yeah, is, definitely. Yeah. I definitely found the online circles I go in, those are very common, uh, very common responses. Um, so it's it's kind of nice, because that's one of those places that I can relate to people, whether they're demi or not, because lots of people in our community, our broader community, are, have had that experience of like, well, I don't know that word. Do we even need that word? And it's like, well, I need that word. Exactly. Like the word is the word is for you. Like that's the whole point of a label. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, yeah. And, and of course, of course, it would be nice. And I'm hoping that we are moving forward towards a world in which we don't need these labels, mm-hmm. um, where it's just, hey. You're going to fall for who you fall for if you fall for them. And as long as you're happy and not hurting anyone, cool. Right. Um, And I do think that's where we're going. Mm -hmm. But for now, while we have a word for what is quote unquote normal, we need to label the things that have been told are not normal. Yes. Because having a, like, I mean, I'm a word nerd, I'm a writer. So I'm definitely biased to think that having a word for things like adds its validity to it. (laughs) It Uh, does though. You're right. Because if there's a word for it, then that means someone else felt it too and decided we need a name for it. And then you can find those people like through podcasts like this, you can find these people and say, hey, we got this in common. Cool. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm not like, oh, just like the the weird one out kind of thing. Um, Do you ever feel like there are aspects to yourself that intersect like in unexpected and weird ways? Like I know that you mentioned you were um, or you are, I don't know if I'm saying this word right and not like anosmiac. Anosmic. 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 At least that's that's how I believe it's pronounced. It's not exactly a word that comes up in conversation often. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what it means is I don't have a sense of smell. Right. Uh, So and actually wrote down some things uh, coming into this because it's like (laughs) this is is the thing that's sort of funny to talk about. So I wanted to like get all my thoughts uh, in order because there have been some interesting uh, bridges between the or parallels between the way people react to my anosmia and the way they react to my asexuality yes i totally that my experience lines up yeah i totally Um, feel that go into it a little bit so there's like the early assumption that like well of course i have this Mm -hmm. because like when you're in kindergarten they tell you you have five senses yep uh and they you also read all these stories about how everyone you know experiences crushes and falls in love (laughs) and eventually you know they don't really talk about sex when you're in kindergarten but there's this sort of undertone that that's what's going to happen eventually Uh uh-huh um, so like, I remember being in kindergarten and you know, those scented markers yes. that we played with. Oh yeah. Back then? Yep. Um, and people, we, they, they were almost passing around the markers and <laughs> asking each other, so what do you think it smells like? And I thought they all smelled the same. Right. 
Um, so that was just for a while. I just, you know, like I mentioned before, thinking that people were exaggerating a bit with like crushes and things like that. But very quickly in both cases, I realized if everyone's talking about like, I'm not that big of a conspiracy theory person. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't believe that the whole world is gonna collectively lie to me about something. I'm not that important. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, So clearly, there is something else that everyone else is experiencing here that's profound Mm -hmm. and important to them. And I am not right. Um, Because like, smell is like, it's memory for people like, it, it can it can throw you all back to places like, and that's just something that I have no sense of okay. and no, no conception for um, at all. Uh, and so, of course, when I bring that up to people, there's this initial sort of like, wait, what? Right. Uh, this assumption that maybe I'm lying for attention. This, mm-hmm. you know, but, ev- but everyone has a sense of smell, um, which is also pretty common when you come out as ace. Yes. Um, uh, there's the sort of questions that they ask, like, the, the, the usual next follow-up question is like, so can you taste? Oh or, yeah. Like, or um, do you, does the way you taste is it different than other people? Is it less? Is it more? Um, and to which my response is, well, it, I, I, it sort of feels like the kind when people ask you, so can you, you still fall in love? And do you fall in love differently than other people? Right. And you're like, how um, am I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah. How should I know? This is all I know. I was born with it. Like, yeah, there are some people who. Uh, lose their sense of smell and that's how they become anosmic but for me it wasn't a becoming I just am correct um and that's a similar thing like people sometimes will this is kind of rare but they'll ask you know how I lost it oh um which I know that that's also like there's this assumption that there was some trauma some error which of course with asexuality as well that is possible and that's okay but that's not my personal experience with it right um, Those are very, like, very distinct parallels. Like, it all feels like a big metaphor of each other. Yeah, which it, it's all in this package of a person, which is me. So, right, kind kind of funny. You get you get people who will like try to test me and catch me in a lie. It's like, well, how would you know if I'm lying or not? Also, because it's just, uh, I I just say that this is how it is. You're not in my head. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just it, it is interesting, and people act, acting like it's a big deal, like. Either like, oh, you're so lucky. I get that sometimes, but also, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but this, <laughs> no. Yeah, because you know, I'm I'm never gonna smell an apple pie, but I'm never gonna smell a skunk. Right. Um, and I do have to acknowledge that it is going to affect my life. It does affect my life. Like I'm low key uh, terrified of living alone. Because uh, if there's ever like smoke, I was or just a gas thinking that. Yeah. Something, I won't be able to tell. Right. Uh. So. There's that, and it's similar with asexuality. It's like, it's not inherently a bad thing. I'm not, I don't consider myself fortunate that I don't get crushes easily or unfortunate right. uh, that I don't on the whole. I mean, I have, I have my bad moments, of course, mm-hmm. but it will, it does affect how I interact with the world, and I have to acknowledge that right. going forward. That's so, like, that's so fun to listen to you talk about because um, <laughs> it's so relatable. Like, I... I, it's not as like right on their parallel like it's not as good of a metaphor for me but like I feel like I off like I just got stuck with a whole you know boatload of stuff that people assume I'm doing for attention or mm-hmm. like they assume are fake so like I have you know ADHD I have celiac disease I'm ace and arrow so people you know see that and they're like like the whole I mean th- I think the celiac thing is getting better 
But for a while mm-hmm. there, it was very much like, oh, like you can eat bread. You just don't want to. You're oh, like, no, yeah. I literally cannot. Like, <laughs> I can't do yeah. it. And so, like, it is getting better. And just like Ace and Arrow stuff, it's getting better. It's just like taking a really long time. So, and the more that the more that you the more people meet people who have that mm-hmm. in in any of these situations, the more people you meet who are like that or you hear about that are like that, then it becomes another part of normal. Right. Which again, let's let's go smash normal. Right. Uh, like there was one time I was walking around just my my college campus and chatting with someone, and it just came up that I didn't have a sense of smell, and she said, "Oh, you mean you're anosmic?" <gasps> And it was just this, oh, my God, someone knows the word. Someone knows that this exists because she knew someone who also didn't have a smell. Yeah, that's so exciting. Like, my heart just, like, got excited when you said <laughs> that. And I'm not an anosmic. Is that correct? Anosmic. As far as I know. <laughs> okay, God. Yeah, you also mentioned, so another parallel you briefly mentioned was that you're Jewish. Did you want to mm-hmm. go into that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's a little different the way I think about that I think that being Jewish in a very predominantly non-Jewish area, most people around me were Christian of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that prepared me for being Demi. Okay, uh, explain I, that a little bit. So when I was um, when I was in kindergarten, uh, these girls uh, came up to me at recess and told me that if I didn't believe in Jesus, Santa, and the Easter Bunny, then there will be monsters under my bed forever. What? Who told them that? <laughs> That's Honestly, when I look back on the story, I'm just more concerned about these girls, and I hope that like, they're okay uh, somewhere. Um, so that was this... this so I, I don't have any real memories of this encounter. What I remember is some years down the line, I was on our uh, house computer and I found the old word documents of the letter my parents typed up to my teachers about it. Ooh, okay. So I, you know, putting it together from a very, very young age, I had this experience that there was something about me that was different than the people around me and the people around me would tell me that there was something wrong and right. that I should change and I should feel bad about it. Right. But at the same time, my parents and my family, the people who really mattered, did not think that. And they right. would support me and back me up and be on my side. And I would find more love and warmth being what I was, being Jewish, right. than, than these girls were likely experiencing if they were being threatened with monsters under the bed mm-hmm. uh, to believe in what they were supposed to believe in. Right. Wow. Good on your parents for writing in. Cause that, yeah, that's so interesting though. Like having that almost, I don't want to call it training, but like you have a lot of intersections that seem like they, I don't know, collide in a really interesting way. I mean, it helps that uh, I'm a very stubborn person Mm -hmm. on the whole. Uh, So I also, I had that, I, I don't remember ever feeling ashamed. Good. Of being Jewish. Like you shouldn't. And, no. And it was, it just was what I was. Like I would get in arguments with people in school about it sometimes. Good. Uh, and... <laughs> show, show them what's right. <laughs> and and it's, just, it's one of those things where it's like every, every year, like we're, we're getting to Christmas while yep. we're recording this. We Not sure, sure when this are. is going to come out. Um, But every year the topic just comes up again because it's just so normalized in mm-hmm. our 
culture here that everyone needs Christmas and no one should be alone on Christmas. And even if you're not religious, you should still enjoy Christmas. Oh my God. Wait, you're totally right. There's a huge parallel there. Like, (laughs) and it's like, but I don't. And it's like, I'm not. And the, sometimes when I bring up the fact that like, I don't Mm -hmm. particularly enjoy Christmas, like I'm finding my, as I'm getting into like adulthood and I'm away from the people who are actively trying to convert me, mm-hmm. I'm tr- I'm finding ways that I enjoy it. Like, like my first date uh, with my uh, boyfriend, my current boyfriend, um, we walked down the Christmas tree trail at Disney Springs. And so I have that appreciation for, you know, it's, this is a pretty thing. And I was able to have a good time with this pretty thing. Right. Separate from people telling me I needed to have one in my house. Exactly. And, um, yep. And there's all those movies about like, oh, the meaning of Christmas and like you're you're like an awful person if you don't celebrate Christmas and like. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but I'm OK. And it's like, I'm not I'm not saying anything bad against you. Right. That you the hypothetical you that you need Christmas. Right. Exactly. It's it's just that I don't. Yes. And I, you know, one of my friends recently says like I, uh. You know, I, I still experience joy. I don't need like a the big man in the red suit to bring it to me. Like, <laughs> That's good. I like that. And, and it's it's okay. Like difference is okay. And it's it's Christmas is just one of the many good things that people can get joy of in the world. Right. And just because I don't want to particularly have this one thing as a big thing in my life. Right. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. Right. We're getting so far into this metaphor, but I'm like still on track. Um, <laughs> but I really. It all, it, all com- it all comes down to smashing normal. Let's yes. Just smash normal. Let's smash normal. God, I love all of these comparisons. Um, speaking of Disney, so like the Disney tree lane or whatever, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about your writing a little bit. So you wrote for <laughs> Disney, right? I did. It was the best five months of my life, and I want to do it again. That is so fun. (laughs) Tell me about it. So I was the Disney Parks Live Entertainment show writer intern, um, which and it was literally a dream come true, something I've been pursuing for, I mean, in some ways my whole life, I guess. I think when I was little, I had a voice in the back of my head saying, like, hey, you like telling stories. Wouldn't it be cool to, like, write Disney movies and things like that? yeah. Um, And then... Uh, but I, I don't think I ever put a ton of thought into it because, like, yeah, how does that happen? I was miles and miles <laughs> away from any Disney location. Um, and then I saw a YouTube video about the Disney College program, and this little light bulb went off just like, if there's a foot in the door, it must be there. Someone someone in the Disney parks must know how to write for Disney. Yeah. Uh, and my mom said to me, well, if you do all your research uh, and figure out how to do it, then sure, you can do that. You can do that for a semester if you you know, keep ahead on your studies and everything. Awesome. Uh, go ahead and do it. Um, so I did, and I did a ton of networking, and I learned about this role because, I mean, in the theme parks, like, like Disney has so much writing more than just in the movies. Like, any performance aspect that is Disney, they have all their Broadway shows, they have the theme parks across the nation and across the world, they have the cruise ships. There is so much entertainment on the Disney cruises. Mm-hmm. Uh, every ship has a different a different theme, a different uh, array of entertainment, things for adults, things for kids, things for whole families. Wow. Um, and someone, at the very least, needs to write up a concept pitch <laughs> for you to give, give to the money people. That's very and true. And the money people can say if you can do it. Yeah. Um, so... 
goodness, it was mostly a concept, uh, like I said, because they they generate a lot of projects that will right. just never see the light of day for yeah. various reasons. The budget just isn't there anymore. The support isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely there at the right time to have some things go all the way from a concept to a more detailed treatment to actually getting to script things. So that summer was when Incredibles 2 was coming out. <gasps> Fun! So we were working on a lot of stuff. Uh, there was going to be a complete Incredibles takeover of Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom. Ooh. And we called it uh, is the Incredible Tomorrowland Expo. And it was like a, <laughs> a convention, like a nerd convention about superheroes. That's awesome. And we had like a stage show slash dance party uh, that I got to write up the, the kinds of things that the party host would say and also the characters would come on the stage. Um, you know, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl and Edna Mode uh-huh. uh, and Frozone were going to come out on the stage and talk, so I got to write their lines <gasps> as well. Wow. Uh, uh, we had over the stage was a constant video feed showing like little commercials about the different things going on at the expo, mm-hmm. and I got to write those. Dang, this is like a dream job. I loved it. And yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, how often do you get to do a test run of the dream job? Yeah, like, literally I, I never. Was, I was even happier than I thought I would be. And Ugh. I learned, I learned so much. Like I, I, mean, I had like my bachelor's degree in creative writing going into it, but I know I'm a much better writer having had that experience. Oh yeah. Uh, than not. I'm sure. Wow. That is actually like pure magic. <laughs> it is. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. <laughs> We, we make magic. We make happiness. So yeah. We tell um, so what are you working on now? Like, are you still writing? I am. I got, got to keep my, uh, my chops going. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get more freelance work. So I am trying to get out there and keep networking. And because there's nothing stopping me from writing for other companies uh, while oh, yeah. I am not, while I'm not writing for one company. Okay. Um, so I've been trying to make connections with like Universal and SeaWorld and all the there's lots of different themed entertainment mm-hmm. organizations in the Orlando area. This is a it's a really hot a hot spot for uh, themed entertainment writing. Yeah. Um, I've also been trying to get more into a community theater. I've been talking with a close friend of mine about uh, starting our own little production company Ooh. to get some of our ideas out there and just do it ourselves. Right. Um, That's not a bad I, idea. Yeah, we're we're really excited about it. Uh, it. It's still in the very early stages, so I don't really have any, have much to talk about with that. <laughs> most most of what I'm writing right now is fan fiction. Okay, I feel that. Which I mean, I'm having fun and posting fan fiction online and developing a community around that is a great way to keep keep getting feedback and to stay in the habit of posting things because it's really a habit. It's very easy to get stuck in your head and just uh, lose the courage and oh, yeah. not not actually take put your stories out there even if you like what you're doing but I can't afford to lose that habit if this is what I want to do with my life right no that's a good call I I mean I think fan fiction is a great way to do that it like I have seen pieces of fan fiction that are like as long as the entire series of <laughs> Harry Potter like and it's one oh, yes. it's one story and like people love it and so like if that's what you do that's what you do and it's like I think that's awesome um I I personally love fan fiction so I see nothing wrong with it and I think it gets a bad rep um but I really don't think it should it 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 does because it's I mean it's it's unprofessional writing I suppose and there's a lot of just sort of like 
the stereotype of the screaming fangirl, which there's nothing wrong with being a screaming fangirl, but people act like there is. Right. Um, and I, I think, well, there's probably also the, the fact that people will go do a lot of like sexual exploring in mm, fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, if we're not getting the sex ed uh, in school, we have to learn learn it somewhere else. What, what the heck is going on? If people uh, what... are getting their sex ed from fan fiction, I really hope that's not true because nobody in fan fiction uses lube, like ever. <laughs> Depends on what fan fiction you read. <laughs> there, there's some good stuff out there. There's also a lot of bad stuff out there, but I guess it's good, also good for developing your critical thinking skills in that way. Mm-hmm. But also like learning about sexual identities. Yes. Uh, people explore that through fan fiction at all. Like, um, I've been writing a lot of DuckTales fan fiction uh, That's recently. That's so great. Can you explain like, that? All right. So uh, DuckTales, Disney TV show. I never watched the original because we didn't watch a lot of TV when I was growing up. We were very, very much read books and talk to each other and ah, play yes. card games, sort mm-hmm. of family. Yeah. Um, but I, the new one, the new series was coming out during uh, my internship for the first time so and we were talking about some stuff for that so I thought well I might as well watch it so I know something about it in case I have to write for it right and I very I was very quickly enamored with it especially with Webby uh who is probably one of my favorite characters right now she's not gonna uh, unthrown Wally but <laughs> Webby is really great um and I headcanoned her as ace okay uh very much so. And there's a couple episodes in particular where they, they're just like, they're throwing me all these bones. Like saying, like, there's an episode where she and one of the other kids are basically playing matchmaker for two of the adult characters. Yeah. Um, and Webby has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> like, she, like the, the two adults are flirting and Webby's looking at them and she's just like, are they fighting? Like... <laughs> But is, is this a positive thing? They seem awfully sweaty and uncomfortable. Right. Um, and what's even better is that in that scene, then the uh, Huey, is one of the boys, is explaining to her what a meat cute is. Oh, and he my lists God. Off all of the traits of the experience that, like, there's, you know, coy body language, excessive sweating, and nervousness, and uh, an awkward and adorable accident. Um, and all of these things that he's listing off in a very early episode in this series, when Webby meets Lena, who's like her best friend, uh-huh. all of those things are in that scene. Oh my God, I so love that. Webby and Lena reads very much as Baby Gay's first crush. Uh-huh. But I also look, I'm seeing it through my ace lens as Baby Ace's first crush. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, she really doesn't know what she's feeling, but it's just sort of like, hey, I really want to be friends with this person. Yeah. Like, right away. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I really my, like that. Yeah, in my fix, I explore that a lot more, uh, taking the stance that in these early days, she doesn't have the word for it yet. Right. Um, but she's confident enough to not really question herself too much about it. And then later I ha- I've written the story where she learns what the, the word asexual and has the, the eureka moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best thing about writing those stories is that there are some people who comment on my stories and say, actually, this is what it was like when I was figuring out my sexuality. And it's like, that that's what I want to do when I'm yeah. writing. I want to, I want to show people it, it's one of two things. I want people to read my stories and know that they're not alone right in their experience but i also want people to read my stories and know there's another way to be than your experience mm-hmm. so i can i can help both kinds of people i can help ace people and aloe people with stories about ace people right 
That's so cool to hear. I That's like another reason fan fiction is great. It's just like it lets you explore and connect with people that like you wouldn't connect with before. Yeah. Now the internet can be a very fun place. You know, like it's a tool again. It's, you can use it for good and use it for harm. Uh, and I believe in its power for good. Good. Yeah. That fits your optimistic attitude for sure. (laughs) Um, so you also write poetry, right? I do. Okay. We talked ahead of time about you potentially reading a poem on the podcast. Do you still want to do that? I do. Yeah. I was, oh I was God, looking awesome. over, over it a little bit ago. It's, <laughs> it's been a bit since I wrote this one, um, but it still, uh, still feels right. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Take it away. Um, I, I guess it's a little bit of a background. Uh, this poem I wrote like maybe five years ago or something like that. Uh, shortly after, uh, my first, like my first significant relationship shortly after that one broke up. Okay. Uh, so it's a bit, a bit old, but, uh, it is called Enigma. A single night has passed, and you have gone away from where you lived inside my heart, and I forgot what it was like to want you. I lie here in the darkness, reaching out for hunger that I know will cause me pain, but still I cannot grasp or bring it in me. Still I cannot find it, not within me. A single day since I no longer love you and every inch of me no longer loves you. Attraction gone as quickly as it came. Attraction lost as quickly as a text. And this demisexual left behind perplexed with this enigma. For you were once so much, so much of me, not long ago at all so much of me. How can you be nothing to me now? Two nights ago, I savored every thought of you. Two nights ago, I quivered at the touch of you. Two nights ago, I kindled deep within for you. Tonight, it's like I never did at all. And if want of you can vanish so completely, what else of you can vanish so completely? We shared so many firsts, and even more were things I did not know I had before. I did not know how quick my heart could rush at thought of one. Your presence showed me that. I did not know how close someone could seem, though far away. Your nearness taught me that. I did not know what love songs really meant or that I'd ever sing them, and yet I sang to you. I did not know what pleasure fingers brought. And yet I came to learn with encouragement from you. And now I reach for you, not out of warm desire, but out of fear of losing all those things, those happy things, those shining things, love's things that through my love for you, I had discovered. But all those things that I through you discovered, they are in me. And though you're gone, I find them still within me. This heart, my power to love, is still within me. This voice, my power to share it, still within me. This touch, my power to pleasure, still within me. These powers are not lost to me as you are. This goodness has not fled from me as you have. Myself is mine to keep and mine to hold and mine to choose to give to someone else, to woman, to man, to gender, boundless soul. I'll give to them As once I gave to you, I'll get from them. As once I got from you, I'll feel for them. As once I felt for you, I'll sing to them. 
as once I sang to you, to they for whom my love will me attract, my love. For though it has no subject now, my love for who is still within me too. That was so good. <laughs> Thank you. The cadence of that, I like was so relaxed. Um, <laughs> and how long ago did you write that? I discovered that I was demisexual around the time that I entered my first uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I had the odd crush before that, but that was the first time that I had that reciprocated relationship that then led into sexual attraction as well. Um, and after it ended, it was pretty sudden. Mm-hmm. And it was also pretty sudden that my attraction for this person just was gone. Mm-hmm. And that was a very strange feeling uh, that first time I experienced that. Um, and I wrote this not long after that. Um, it's, it's interesting looking back on it because I've been uh, in and out of love a few times uh, since then. And I'm currently in love. Uh, so it, it's interesting to look back on the way I am when I'm not. Right. And it's sort of like a reminder. It's like, yeah, that that's me. Like, there's, of course, like de- demisexual is one of those weird bits on the ace spectrum where when someone says to you, it's like, oh, you just haven't found the right person yet, which is such an annoying thing mm-hmm. to hear as an ace person. But for me, that is the case. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I never thought about if, that. If it's the right person, then, then yeah, I, I do feel my kind of attraction for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that it can just go away right. is not aloe. So. Correct. Yeah, no, you're totally right about that. Um, I always only thought about it going the one way of the, you know, the beginning of the attraction. And I never really thought about the end before. And so, they, they do end. I yeah. Mean, that was a lovely poem. Like that made it very clear to me um, what that must feel like. And that's wild. Like that makes sense, though. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah. No, thank you for reading it. Um, I have one more question for you. Uh, who is someone important to you? Someone important to me. Uh, if I, if I start listing, then I'm going to feel bad for leaving someone out. So (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm just going to stick to one and I'm going to stick to my mom. Oh, my mom, my mom is very important to me. Great. Tell me why she's important to you. Well, I mean, I told the story earlier about like the first time I sort of came out when I, before I knew what was up and she just stood up and gave me a hug Mm -hmm. and just, just to assure me that I was loved. Yeah. Um, so that is very important, but also she's just forever been my model for what it means to be a strong woman in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a, she's a teacher, a high school teacher and just was always my teacher as well. Like I actually had, I took her class when I was in high school. Oh, really? Um, and people told me, people would ask me, oh, is it weird to have your mom as a teacher? And it's like, no, that's just how she always is in my life. Like Aww. there's there's always something to learn and always a higher standard to hold me to. Right. Um, and I, you know, we, we fought a lot when I was little because I definitely, I, I definitely get my stubbornness from her. So there is bits places where we would butt heads against each other. Um, but like, well, my, my dad uh, was the one to first type up 
the stories that I would tell about my dolls and my toys oh. to, tell, to tell me that like, hey, you're writing a story. That's what you're doing here. Yeah. Um, it was my mom who sat with me and while I kicked and screamed and said, no, it's perfect. I don't need to change anything. And she was the one who said, no, it's not perfect yet. You need to revise. You need to take critique. You need to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up watching her uh, handle cancer Mm. Uh, and continue to go to work and be strong for us and make sure that we had as happy uh, a life as we could. Her and her and dad worked together on that. Like so much. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I don't want to ever have to deal with that. But if I do, then, you know, God willing, I'd be able to handle it with as much strength and grace as they did. Right. Um, and I definitely, as as a you know, adult, a young adult, I guess, um, I love the relationship that I have with her yeah. and that I still like, feel I can talk to her about pretty much anything and know that she's going to give me uh, her honest opinion, but also her love and her support. And that is just a very, I consider myself very fortunate uh, to have had that my whole life and to continue to have that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Great answer. <laughs> I want to go give my mom a hug now. Um, <laughs> well, thanks to everyone. I am a. They, when I told them I was gonna uh, be interviewing for this podcast, and mom was just like, "So you're gonna send us a link, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am." So hello, mom and dad. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay, great. Oh my god. Well, thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. Um, thanks especially to Phoenix Bryan, who just became our newest patron at patreon.com slash AOKpod. Also, thanks to everyone writing super funny ace puns in our reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, I read every single review, and they always make my day. And my sister's actually the one who pointed out all the puns, because apparently I'm too thick to see puns, but they're very funny. Um, and as always, thank you to Uberkick for the use of their song A-OK, to Tanner Grayler for creating our cover art, and to Sophie Lalonde for editing and producing this episode. I'll be back next week with another guest. But until then, I'm Courtney Lang. And I'm Sophie Katz. And, and we, we are, are A-OK. A-OK. I feel like-